This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. We're hoping vaccines can get us out of this pandemic, back to whatever the old normal was a long time ago. But the virus might have other plans. A variant found in South Africa might outsmart vaccines. British officials saying their variant might be deadlier. We'll get into how worried we should be over all of that. President Biden wants to speed up vaccination production, but his plan could make things worse. Hope growing that the restaurant industry can recover quickly this year. And Hollywood is hoping to recover too, but it might take a while. We start, though, with the U.K. and South Africa. Dr. Eric Fagelding, epidemiologist, senior fellow, the Federation of American Scientists. So, doctor, let's start with the variants in the U.K. They said it was more contagious, and now they say it might be more deadly. Uh, they're looking into this. Yeah, this is one of those um, moving train wrecks of these variants, the worst and more worst news. One of these is you guys need to have me back with good news, okay? Okay. Um, so we, <laughs> okay. It is when the more pandemic contagious. is over, we'll yeah. all have a chat. Um, for sure. There's two ways it's deadlier. Before we just thought, well, if it's more contagious, it'll spread to more people and be able to find more people who are vulnerable. That's one way. But now this is a different way. This is that if you get it on an individual level, you'll have a higher chance of anywhere from... 30 to 40 percent higher. So if you're a 60 year old man and um, instead of a thousand out of a thousand people, 10 people die, it's now 13 to 14 people die instead of 10 out of a thousand. So that's quite a jump. Um, But but do we know why? Do we know why? Well, it's just this uh, just natural severity, like the virus binds tighter. To your human cells, like the, it, the the this viruses, they change their uh, shape of their spike protein, which is like the latching system onto your ACE receptor. And if it fits the key, it's a better fit for the key, and it enters faster. It's a more efficient key to your body, and that's that's what the mutation is all about. And basically, if it it can fit into the key and get enter your body faster, more efficiently, that means you'll get infected more often and with a higher viral load. And we already knew it had a higher viral load. So we think that's why. And it's it's very it's very shocking, but it's very plausible. And and we know they've looked at the same data before and figured out it was more contagious. And remember, it takes time to figure out if someone dies. And now that that time has caught up with us a month later, and now we're figuring it out. It's more deadlier, too. Okay. So this is what's rewarding some. So things we know about that, though, is the prevention does not change. I mean, social distance, masks, no, avoiding gatherings, it's, it's the same basic rules. More aggressive. It's we have to be more aggressive. Previously, when you kind of had a half-ass, uh, laissez-faire kind of um, lockdown, you could get away and still have to keep the R under one, which is a reproductive number. Anything less than one, you know, the epidemic starts drawing down. But now we lose that buffer. You know, previously you could keep schools closed and still keep it around one or less. But uh, but now we don't have that luxury of keeping uh, schools open anymore. So this is this is the it's the same thing, but we just have to be much more vigilant. And I hate it uh, to say it because people don't like it, but lockdowns may be required, and we need more premium masks potentially instead of just cloth masks, especially if half the people don't wear them these days. Okay, so so but the, but by the way, uh, as far as we know, the current vaccines would be effective against this UK <laughs> uh, mutant variant, right? 
Yeah, we're pretty sure it will work. And just so you know, like the vaccines, it's not like everything think of as a key. You know, when you copy a key, certain keys fit better in your lock, right? And this is the, the thing. The vaccines should be able to work. And we're pretty confident it'll work, um, still the 95%. But even if it doesn't, it's not going to be like 95% drop down to 0%. It might be 90 or 85 or 80 or, the worst case, 70%. Like, it's still better than not taking the vaccine, which means you get zero protection. Okay, but— So it will still work. Okay, but now we come to—we mentioned, Mike and I, the South African uh, variant— and there's a different issue there because the latest news on that front is that that one might not be a good fit with things like um, monoclonal antibodies, for example, which have been somewhat effective in, in the more conventional version right. that we all know. That is really not good news, right? Yeah, that one, um, that variant is a little bit different from the UK variant. That one has an extra mutation called the 484 E484K mutation. And what they've noticed is they took people who recovered, like 44 people who recovered from COVID previously in the spring epidemic, and you took their blood and you mixed it. And normally you should find that the, their antibodies neutralized the virus, except in 48% of the people, it didn't. There was a like complete escape. It didn't, it didn't do anything to the virus. And in 90% of the people, there was like decreased binding, which means the antibodies didn't bind as as well as it would compared to the regular, you know, wild type, common type uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus. So what do we do so about that? So that's really bad. Well, with that, again, avoid it. Uh, uh, but the other thing is the vaccine should still work. But again, it could be a steeper drop than, you know, 5%. Okay. It could be it could be like a 15, 20, 30% drop. Now, I want to point out that originally when we before we didn't have any vaccines, we thought, you know, we'll take anything that's a 50 percent efficacy vaccine. You know, anything better than 50 percent will be great. Cut, you know, infection risk in half. But but instead, we ended up with a 95. Right. And so with 95 percent, we we have room to give because even the flu shots are only around 70 60, 70 percent effective on any given uh, season. So this is why even if there's a drop, it's still good. People should not shy away. It's not a safety thing. It's just a relative, you know, how strongly does it protect you thing. But it's still definitely above 50 percent. But Mike and I, Mike and I wanted to go to 100. Yes. Get it to Mm -hmm. 100. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. no, for a severe disease it is 100 by the way you know it was it was a, it was 95 for overall but for severe disease it, it was 100 for all these vaccines which is a good thing because yeah. preventing severe disease is ultimately the the most costliest and riskiest part of this dr eric Fagelding, epidemiologist senior fellow federation of american scientists and yes we will have you back for good news segments eventually President Biden has said he'll invoke the Defense Production Act to help speed up the vaccine distribution process. The idea is that the more resources allocated to vaccine production and distribution, the better, right? Maybe not. It could slow things down, which is the opposite of what you want to do. Yes. Here to explain, Prashant Yadav, senior fellow at the Center for Global Development and expert in healthcare supply chains. So why could the Defense Production Act have the opposite effect of what we all want? So two things. It depends largely on what we use the Defense Production Act for. So I think the Biden administration can potentially think of 
using it to do two things. One is um, having more manufacturing supply for the special syringes we need to draw out the six toes more effectively. And that essentially means existing syringe manufacturers, which are manufacturing different types of syringes, can we quickly reconfigure their capacity to make more units of this um, deep draw syringe. The second is there are some key input materials that are required for making the messenger RNA vaccines, uh, in particular certain types of lipids. And um, the Defense Production Act could help get more lipids from the suppliers who may be facing challenges in scaling up their supply, uh, even though I think that many of the suppliers are located outside the United States as well. So we'd have to think about you know, where the jurisdiction applies and where it doesn't. Uh, the, the part which becomes trickier is if there are um, additional manufacturing sites which are currently under contract for manufacturing, let's say, a different vaccine in the future, which has not currently been authorized. So examples would be a vaccine that a company called Novavax will manufacture or uh, in the future, GlaxoSmithKline Sanofi would manufacture. These are vaccines which are still um, a, a good bit away from, from doing and completing their phase three trials, submitting their data. So can that manufacturing capacity, which is on contract, be reconfigured to make additional vaccines? May not be the messenger RNA ones, but let's say once we have the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, could we then quickly you know, use more capacity and put it for that one uh, or other vaccines like that? And perhaps even for fill and finish for the uh, Pfizer Moderna vaccines. So I think that's where it starts to become trickier, which is if we are going to reconfigure some existing capacity, then um, you know we are essentially um, not allowing ourselves the chance that if the the next vaccine that comes out is uh, highly efficacious and also very um, very compelling in terms of its uses, uh, we may have already reconfigured that capacity. That's a trade-off that requires a very careful consideration. Okay. So obviously we've got multiple things to think about here. And then just the idea as well that nothing turns on a dime. I mean, whatever happens is going to take time and we've got to wait for that to come through. Yeah. So manufacturing capacity reconfiguration takes time in general, just because the physics of you know changing equipment uh, from, from making one thing to another um, has its own boundaries. But in addition for medical product manufacturing, especially especially when it comes to vaccines and um, and other medical products. This requires validation of process batches um, by the regulator, the Food and Drug Administration, and so on. And while we'll work to expedite many of those things in, in a pandemic, but it still takes some time. So we are talking about the order of weeks or months, uh, not necessarily in the order of days. Yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, there's a learning curve besides the equipment uh, and figuring out how one you know, factory, for example, that produced one thing can now produce another thing. Does the learning curve for the people who work there, right? I mean, they don't just walk in one day and presto, they know how to do something totally different. Yeah, so there is a learning curve. The good thing, though, is that um, many of the vaccine sponsors, the companies who have developed the vaccines are using contract manufacturers who are common to them. So examples are companies such as Emergent, um, or Catalant or Lonza are, are doing manufacturing, not just for one, uh, one manufacturer, one vaccine developer, but for multiple ones. So they have at times the same site in which they have different production suits. And then they can uh, think about staff who have worked on one line to, to start working another. Again, this comes with 
you know, lots of assumptions built in, such as intellectual property issues and things like that. But, um, you know, if, if required, yes, it can be done. And, and the constraints that you're highlighting on, on learning curve effects and having the staff to be able to you know, manage a new type of process step. Yeah, those are indeed things which take some time. Prashant Yadav, Senior Fellow, Center for Global Development, expert on healthcare supply chains. 2020 was devastating for the restaurant industry, and we all know why, but there's optimism of a quick recovery. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot discussed opening bars and restaurants indoors. WBBM's Cisco Cotto talked to James Miller, Director of Operations at the Four Star Restaurant Group, on what reopenings will look like. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to get done in a short amount of time, and you know, with a moving target as, front of, as far as when it's going to happen, if it's going to happen. You know, we're we're ready to go. We've been talking to our staff probably. We, we keep in contact with Molly since October to say, hey, as soon as we're ready to go, are you ready to go? And we've had an overwhelming responses. Well, uh, our team is tomorrow morning if, if we get the approval. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. Everyone's got their fingers crossed. Uh, what do you do with uh, all of the servers? I mean, are those just people that you recall? Do you end up having to hire new people and, and deal with some kind of a training regimen? What is that like? Uh, we've kept, a, you know, like I said, I kept a call list and kept in contact with them. These are our friends and our family that work with us. Like, we know directly where they are. We've been touching base. Are you coming back? Are you comfortable? Where do you sit? And we're almost everybody's ready to come back. We're going to have to do some hiring as it gets a little bit warmer into the season, but we're, we're ready to go for this weekend. Yeah, have you at all tried doing the outdoor dining in this rough weather, or, or did you just not even try that? We did. We had uh, tents at uh, multiple of our locations. You know, it's fine when it's 45, thir- in the mid-30s, but today it's it's cold. You can put as many heaters around a tent or near it, but this will be a welcome change to get people back into indoors and enjoy some warm, some a little bit of warmth here in Chicago. Talk about the challenge of being open and then closed and then open and then closed, at least for indoor dining, oh, that, that sort of roller coaster that you've been on. <laughs> you said it best, a roller coaster. You wake up every morning and you're like, how are we going to operate today? How do we keep as many people working as possible in a safe environment? And sadly we've been through this someone's like how are you gonna be ready tomorrow i'm like we've we've had to do this three two or three times now it's just a little bit of a change but we're used to it at this point oh thanks so much Uh, good to talk with you that's james miller director of operations for four star restaurant group as it seems like more indoor dining is headed to chicago coming up after this short break the pandemic continues to take the shine off of tinseltown Just like the restaurant industry, the TV and movie industry is trying to push forward this year following a rough 2020. It could take a while before getting back to some kind of normal business. Many movie theaters still closed. The latest James Bond film be pushed back again. Elsa Ramo, entertainment attorney, founder of Ramo Law, PC, whose clients include New Line, Imagine Entertainment, Jim Henson Company. Elsa, the James Bond thing kind of uh, full circle because it was one of the first big movies to get pushed back. Yeah, it's sort of the... The slow death of theatrical in, in a lot of ways, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, what happens though? I mean, it, it's easy in, in some ways to say that it's going to mean the death of theaters. And as you know, uh, throughout uh, the history of cinema, there have been many predictions that all turned out not to be true that theater, that films were going to die. You know, when when uh, radio came along, and then when television came along, then when cable came along, when streaming came along. But is this finally the nail in the coffin? 
You know, I think the delay of theatrical uh, is definitely uh, the nail in the coffin of the experience of going to the theaters. That's different than the, I think, the drive that consumers have to still be engaged by and be willing to sit down and watch a feature film. And I think the disassociation is happening. And and if you think about what happened with World War World War eighty four and Gal Gadot's movie that came out through the Warner platform, um, studios are course correcting, right? And having us acknowledge the fact that we're going to have to accept the idea of a big release to be in the, in the safety of our own home. So that is a disruption that we're all on the entertainment side trying to grapple with. The calculus to not just release some of these on streaming when they know that people will, I mean, people would buy the new James Bond movie to watch it. They'd spend however much, uh, you know, reasonably. But is it just you can make so much more when the theaters are whole again, so they're going to wait and not take the Warner Brothers approach? Or not everybody has, you know, HBO Max to go to. Yeah, and I think that's part of the problem, right, is that there's different bets being made right now, and some are sort of in a wait-and-see holding pattern, because right now the monetization with the context of a theatrical is so much greater than the auspices of how something would be if it's premiered on streamers. But that disruption is happening right before us, and, and I think the success of what platforms are going to be able to do without without a theatrical release may change the profitability on what we think of as a big box office return. I mean, I, I guess one of the real concerns uh, and, and how this does different, differ from the scenarios I was mentioning before, the, you know, the advent, advent of uh, radio and television and all that. This time, though, the movie theaters, of course, are actually closed in, in most parts of or many parts anyway of the country and they've been closed for so long that at a certain point there must come a time when they're all going to go out of business they can't be sustained forever yeah i mean that's another sort of the concern right is that that recession and and hopefully not but bankruptcy of these various chains are also going to disrupt the fact that there may just not be exhibitors to exhibit in um, and that's another thing that's in a wait and see pattern, which is sort of our, our trend right now on the entertainment <laughs> side and everybody else. They are, you know, we've had some cutbacks in, in, in shooting and, and, you know, after it said it in the city, has said it, and, you know, hold off for a while because of the surge. The safety protocols, your view, I mean, it's a it's a lot more difficult to, to go and, and, and shoot a movie these days, but so far so good. Yeah, I mean, I think rather than so far so good, it's more about we just know more than we did a few months ago. And um, the panic and uh, frustration that would set in with a COVID positive six months ago versus now, now we have a procedure and a process in place. Um, and it's interesting to be in Los Angeles where there's caution and unions are asking you to avoid shooting, but you actually still can, right? So I think that um, studios and financial stakeholders in production are being cautious and thorough, but still trying to take that risk when needed. Because at the end of the day, people want to watch new content and we're trying to churn it out despite all the adversity. Elsa Rama, entertainment attorney, founder of Ramo Law PC. A vial of the Moderna vaccine in the Houston area got damaged. Now, there was concern that the uh, doses would be wasted. Well, the doctor for the Harris County Public Health Department then grabbed the vial and gave the nine doses to his friends and family. That, though, might have been a bad idea. He was charged with stealing the doses and fired from his job. Prosecutors say the doctor abused his position 
But the doctor's lawyer says the doctor is a dedicated public servant who ensured that COVID-19 vaccine doses that would have otherwise expired went into the arms of people who met the criteria for receiving it. You can find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, the Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.